I like to say, Christ gave me a new identity in Christ, and the government gave me a new identity in who I am today. You grew up in a tough neighborhood in Brooklyn. You went to Catholic school. You got lost in the shuffle of the local wise guys doing runs for them and then became drug addicted and ended up in Rikers. How did this happen? I had like three types of people that I could identify growing up. And of course it would be my mom and dad, my family. And it, it was my mom and dad, you know, they had five, well at that point in time, four children, the fifth one was coming. And they had struggles financially and stuff. So I would hear arguments about finances and things going on. So at an early age, that's not kind of where I wanted to be, like to grow up and, and see that kind of the image that I want for my life when I grow up. And then you had guys coming back from Vietnam and all that there, drugs, alcohol was pretty big in the neighborhood. And then you had these wise guys that kind of like ran the neighborhood. So I didn't know it. But it's pra practically from my understanding now was, that neighborhood was established a long time ago, and the Gambino crime family kind of ran it and protected the neighborhood, and I was infatuated with that lifestyle. You were kind of like working within, within this system, and then when, when, when did you start to, to do the drugs, and then they started to interfere with what you were doing? I was doing what they call the crap game, which is a dice game. It's illegal. You know, we used to have them back in the alleyways and stuff like that. And I would go there to Manhattan and all these big wise guys and, and I was well liked by everybody and I worked the games but every now and then I would see guys going into the bathroom and then I started hanging out with them at nighttime after the game was over and then I was offered some coke. Now I did a little bit of coke but never really a lot. I experimented with it a little bit but really didn't like it too much. But then what later on when I see them doing I thought it was okay because for me the mob really wasn't supposed to be addicted to drugs or, or do drugs. You know what I mean? It was a sign of weakness, actually. So, but when I seen these guys do it, I said, okay, it must be okay, maybe. You know, so I got involved with Northern Coke, and then before you know, Free Basin Coke, and then before you know, everything I was losing, the cheaper high was crack cocaine. So that's that's what really brought me to to my knees, so to speak. You're, so you're in prison, and um you get a way to get out, right? You, you have a, they offer you a deal to get out. You want to talk about that? Well, yeah, I, I like to say they gave me an offer I didn't refuse. So that's kind of <laughs> like, like what I just said. But you know, all my, I've been in and out of prison since I was 20 years old, either jails or prison. So it's been kind of like occupational hazard, if you want to call it that. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it or not, but that's how I feel about it anyway. So, uh, but the last time I was in prison, I was really strung out on crack cocaine. So what I like to tell people is I got a visit by two angels. And of course, they weren't halos or nothing like that. They were warrant officers. And the reason why I say angels today is because that was in 1997, January 23rd, 1997, was when I got locked up, brought into Rikers Island. That's the last time I did a drink and a drug. And I give God all the grace and glory for that. So that's why I call them my angels. So as I'm in Rikers Island and being, you know, in and out of prisons and jails, you know, you have kind of form a routine that you have, you know, you're going to be staying for a while. So 
So I was trying to get commissary money. I was trying to get an attorney to get me out of the mess that I got myself into. So I'd be calling up a lot of people. A lot of people just felt that I was safer in prison than I was out in the street. And that kind of brought me to a kind of low. And then I had speaking to my mom and she said she couldn't do nothing for me no more. And But this agent kept coming around, bothering her a little bit. And I asked for his phone number. I called them and they said, yeah, if you cooperate with us, we'll, we'll help you with a new life. And that's kind of the offer they gave me. And then I see myself as hopeless. And maybe this was the only chance that I had to start all over again. So I took the offer. Now you, your identity changes, right? Because they give you, an, they give you a, a way out. Yeah, born again. Yes. Yes. And tell me what the hardest thing that you had to do when you left your identity behind. I remember making an agreement with the government, knowing that I, when I, my jail time was up, I was going to go into the witness protection program. Uh, I was in uh, Indian River County Jail in Florida and uh, going to Bible studies. So I, I'm going around your question, but I'm trying to bring the light to it. I cried like a baby because I got baptized. That was kind of like I was mourning the death of Robert Angle, knowing that I was going to become somebody else, not knowing who that person was going to be. The hardest part was they don't tell you everything about the extent of what the program uh, is. So the hardest part was being sent what I call a foreign land to San Antonio, Texas, all by myself with nobody I loved around me. The hardest part was when my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And uh, when she passed away, I couldn't, I couldn't even go to the funeral service. As a matter of fact, I didn't know my mom passed away until three days after she had passed away. But there was no way for my family to know where I was. They couldn't know. Nobody could know where exactly I was. So that was the hardest part for me. Uh, when that happened, uh, uh, you know, I, I just uh, cried like a baby and didn't understand you know, I'm born again, love the Lord, have a different agape love, and I think my mom deserved it more than anybody, but then she didn't get a chance to share that with me. So that was the hardest part. And then, of course, being away from my daughter. And now you have this new identity in Christ, and he's doing such great things in your life. But what was the biggest thing that he did in your life that you saw yourself change? You know, I get excited about when we, we read about being born again in, you know, in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus goes to Jesus and said, you must be born again. For me, I got the experience of really being physically born again because I have a new social security number. Everything in my life has changed. In other words, if you look up my social security number, you look up the name Robert Borelli, you'll see nothing from my past other than 1999. So actually, Robert Borelli was born in 1999, in a sense, even though I was 50 years old at the time. So when I correlate that to the spiritual aspect of being born again, because now I have no record anymore. I could go any place, anywhere, get fingerprinted, and there's no reflection of any of my past record. So that slate was wiped clean. And I see that that's how Jesus did in my life. He wiped all my sins away, gave me a fresh, brand new start in Christ Jesus. And I get excited about that because I really experienced, 
not just the spiritual rebirth, but I could identify it in the way the government gave me a, a, new, a new identity. So I like to say Christ gave me a new identity in Christ and the government gave me a new identity in who I am today. So I like to correlate that. that, with, and that. Sometimes when I do interviews, I like to bring that out the most because I don't know if we really understand what it really is to be born again. Yeah, and I don't think anybody can go back after you've after you've come to him and know him. You know that new identity is is just the most beautiful th gift that God could ever give us. Yeah. So you now you're a speaker and you're you're going around speaking and what are you speaking about? Gangster stuff can draw people in. So we use the gangster stuff to let people come in to hear about this guy that was part of the mafia and it draws people in. And then I say what I where I was, paint the dark picture, and then show it. So in other words, I paint how bad I was, and then I try to paint how good God is, that he could take somebody like me, transform their life, change them, give them an new identity, and have a fresh start in life again. So, I mean, I just love doing that. So most of the speaking engagements are based on me sharing my testimony. What can you tell someone as we close, if they're lost, how can they be found? I say, I say it's never too late for a new beginning. No matter where you are in life, no matter what's going on, you're not stuck there. There's a way out. And Christ is the way. So what I try to tell most people is you don't have to go through everything that I want to get to where I am. It's just one thing. Christ already has done everything for you. All you have to do is accept this free gift. And once you accept that gift, I promise you that God is going to transform that life. But it has to be a surrender. It has to be a surrender. We have to surrender it to him, give it to him, and let him do it. It's kind of like what they talk about, the, the, the clay and, and molding of the clay, you know. The clay's not in charge. It's the person that's molding the clay. And God could change and transform our life. He could remodel it. I mean, I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing. If you would go back... 20-something years ago, nobody in the world would ever be thinking that I'd be doing and I'd be the person that I am today. So. More about Robert Borelli and his book, The Witness, go to robertborelli.com. Do you want to see more videos? Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Call with Nancy Sabato.